Howdy, and welcome to another episode of Adult Onset Horsemanship. I'm your host, Daniel Dolphin. I'm absolutely tickled to have our guest for today. His motto is, you can't get full on fancy. He cut his teeth as a cookie for cowboys and arrived on the U.S. cooking scene, winning his first episode of the TV show Chopped. He narrowly lost out on a life-changing amount of money in the finale and becoming a big fish because of a little fish. Kent grew up on the banks of the Red River in Hollis, Oklahoma. He has shown Bobby Flay that even with preparatory practice and a staff, Bobby didn't know much about chicken fried steak. He was named the 1996 official chuck wagon of Oklahoma by the governor. He is generally seen traveling around in a covered Studebaker wagon and hauling around a 385 pound stove named Bertha. It uses firewood and cast iron to bring comfort food to the cowboys. And he is put out cookbooks like Faith, Family and Feast, Comfort Food the Cowboy Way, a taste of cowboy. More than just a pretty face, Kent has also been named the best cowboy humorist and storyteller of the year by the Academy of Western Artists. Now, I don't know if Miss Shannon was going to be joining us today, but one can only assume that Kent is also a keen gambler as he somehow managed to win the hand of Miss Shannon, who is cute and savvy as her husband is smoked and grizzled. Mr. Kent, how are you doing today? I am good. I like that grizzled part, my friend. You know, it seems I, a perfect word. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, it does. No, I am good. And uh, no, it's uh, it's an honor, Daniel, to be on here with you. You know, Shan, uh, Shan is my great inspiration. She's a great producer, editor. Uh, she's been by my side and on ranches for six and seven weeks cooking. Uh, so she knows that lifestyle as well. Absolutely. She, she really does... Uh, I mean, you come off as as genuine as can be and all, but I mean, you can tell immediately that she's the kind of lady that's got all her ducks in a row and, and yeah. is uh, squared away and on top of things. So she seems pretty cool. Well, Mr. Kent, we start everybody off with the lightning round questions, and these are for points and prizes. So you want to be on all your right. A game here. Yes, sir. What is your favorite way to relax? My favorite, sit on the porch with my wife and two dogs and drink a glass of iced tea. That sounds pretty good. Yes, sir. Morning or evening? Both if I have time, but especially of a morning, you know, it's especially this time of year. It's 108 today in southwest Oklahoma, and you can get up before light, and it might be 74 degrees. So get it while you can. Shade don't last long. <laughs> dogs or cats? Oh, dogs. We, uh, we, you know, I might have 2.6 million followers on YouTube, but our dogs probably have 40 million. So uh, it's always been a dog. <laughs> do you, I know you sort of have a motley crew of dogs there. Do you have a particular breed that you favor or anything, or, or do you have uh, a different discrimination category you we, use to pick them? We, we favor them all. You know, uh, every one of the dogs we have is a rescue. The old Beagle has been with us about 14 years, so – He's been through thick and thin, cooking on ranches and being gone all the time. And uh, the rest of them have sort of come in and, and sort of seen a little more luxurious lifestyle to where there's more couches and air conditioners, uh, you know, during the day. But uh, no, we, we enjoy them all. They all have great personalities and uh, feel sorry for folks that don't know the love of a good dog. 
Absolutely. Yes, sir. I swear I hadn't made this one up just for you. This is one I ask everybody, but does pineapple belong on pizza? Does pineapple belong on pizza? You know, uh, I've seen a lot of people put it on there, but about the only only things that I wrote really belong on pizza are sauce, onions, jalapenos, and meat. You know, I think maybe if you're going to make one for dessert, that's fine. But And I know a lot of people put that Canadian bacon pineapple twist on there, and uh, I've seen it, but uh, I'm going to call it dessert. Well, what about cheese? You like cheese on pizza too, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got to have some cheese. More the merrier. All right. If there are good essential oils, do you think it's fair to say there must also be evil essential oils? Oh, yes, sir. You know, uh, when I tell people you can cook, you know, get you some oil spray a pan. I ain't meaning for them to use essential oil or WD-40, either one. You know, there's there's bad oils out there, and there's good oils. There's Tropartic, Pins Oil, Quaker State, stuff like that, but... uh uh, essential oil to me at the chuck wagon is grapeseed oil, olive oil, and usually some really good fry oil. Okay. I'm, I was, I'll ask you about that a little, a little bit. I'm a little surprised to hear you say grapeseed oil there. So we'll dissect that. Do you have a horse or cow industry related pet peeves? Well, I can tell you I've been around horses and cattle all my life. I never fear, never feared cattle on the plate. I did fear them at times in a set of pins. You know, I've been run over a lot of times uh, working cattle in my life and bucked off a lot of horses. Uh, but, you know, my daddy always told me, he said, you'll get a, you usually get a really good woman in your life. You'll get two good horses and two good dogs. Make sure you take care of all of them, you know, and uh, being around cattle and horses, both, uh, they both do have their own personality. A cow don't own a watch. She don't care what time you get through. But a horse will eventually quit you because he likes to eat supper, too. <laughs> yes, sir. Would you tell us something unexpected about you? Unexpected. I have run two miles at one time listening to Lady Gaga uh, at the same time. <laughs> and I also sushi is my favorite meal. You know, uh, Shan sent me a bunch of music a long time ago and give me one of them things you wear on your arm and it plays music in your ear. And uh she had all this music on there, and the first one to come out was Lady Gaga, and she was singing, and she made me run a whole lot faster at the time, you know, and sometimes even further. But uh, I do appreciate her music. She is a great songwriter. and uh, But, you know, sushi, sushi to me is probably one of the best meals I've ever eaten because you don't have to build a fire to cook it. Uh, that's, that's a plus for me. So I'm honestly not sure if you're being serious about that because I know you've got a cowboy sushi recipe in oh, one yeah. of your videos where you you do actually cook the meat. So are, are you you legitimately do eat raw fish sushi? And oh something? yes. Okay. When me and Shan first got together a long time ago, she asked me. Uh, she said, "Have you ever eat sushi?" I said, "Yeah, I did it at a truck stop in North Reno one time many years ago." And she said, "That ain't where you get it." And I said, "Yeah, I found that out." You know, but. uh she brought me a long way. She's told, you know, a long time ago, she'd tell me, I think we need to get this, need to get that. Well, I can go into about any sushi place in America anymore, and I can tell you exactly what I want to wear, what role, you know, and what's in it. Uh, it's, a, it's a great meal, uh, but I do. The, the fact that you ain't got to build a fire to cook it is a really great thing in that part of it. I'm a fan of it myself, absolutely. If you could choose any superpower, what superpower would you choose? Ooh, what superpower would I choose? 
I think it would be maybe some x-ray vision because I would love to see in the bottom of that cast iron pot right before them biscuit burnt when I was really busy, you know, uh, it's not Pyrex, but, uh, yeah, I've got superpowers, brother. I've got God in my corner and Shan by my side, so I'm pretty powerful. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I would imagine you have a pretty finely tuned clock somewhere in the middle yes. of you, too. Uh, that's yeah. one of those things good cooks always seem to. They know 30-second increments like like they got a clock in front of me when they don't. Uh, thoughts or feelings? Thoughts or feelings? Yes, sir. Well, I can tell you this for sure. If you walk up to that old wood stove of mine and you thought it was hot and you touched it, you would have the feeling that it was hell for hot when you got through. Them are thoughts and feelings. I mean, have uh, you ever left a little skin on the outside of old Bertha? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, uh, my, my fingerprints don't work no more. They've all been burned off so many times. Uh, but it's she'll greet you. You know, in the wintertime, I'm glad to see her in the summer. She'll uh, she'll punish you if she gets a chance. Yes, sir. Are you decisive or indecisive? Depends on what we're trying to decide. You know, you get in a car with a bunch of people and uh, Shan's folks are real bad about it, about they're going to go out and eat, but they don't know where they're going to go. Then you have to wait 30 minutes to talk about it to find out where you're going to eat, and then you ain't even hungry time you get there. Uh, you know, I, I like to make a decision. Uh, a lot of times we, we have a plan when we're cooking on a ranch, and it may be – a, B, and C, but you figure out, you know, you've got to improvise and go all the way to X, Y, Z. So you can be a little indecisive and uh, uh, at the same time, too. Yes, sir. Leave yourself a little flexibility there to do yes. what makes sense. What's the best smell in the barn? The best smell in the barn? Yes, sir. In the whole barn, probably be fresh sweet feed got that steamed corn with a little molasses on it but also fresh cut alfalfa hay that, that, that's pretty good yes sir sure is do you have a favorite book or movie favorite book or movie well i've seen i ain't read too many books besides the bible uh, i did read call of the wild when i was in school many many years ago by jack london and sort of enjoyed that favorite movie you know, there's there's a lot of them, but uh, um, I really love true uh, probably the Cowboys with John Wayne in it. You know, mm -hmm. where Mr. Nightlinger was the cook, but uh, I like a lot of Clint Eastwood stuff too. You know, anything with Tom Hanks in it, uh, I know it's going to be good. All right, sweet, salty, or spicy. I think you got to combine all three if you're going to get the perfect ingredient, whether you're putting it on a piece of meat or putting it in a pie. You know, they all have to come about to where you can get there. I'm thinking, yeah, maybe I should throw an acid and fat and two in that one for you. <laughs> all right. Do you have a favorite dinosaur or deep sea creature? Favorite dinosaur or deep sea creature? Well, I ain't never been deep in the sea. You know, that's one place I ain't never cooked at. I've cooked at sea, but I ain't never cooked under it. Uh, so I don't know what they'd be. A favorite dinosaur, I'm thinking I would probably really like me one of them uh, uh, them T-Rex, because I think if you get him on the ground and get him clean, you'd have enough meat to make it for three or four years. Uh, I, I tell you what, as a fellow country boy, have you ever 
surely you have plucked a chicken out in the yard before, huh? Yes, I when, plucked many a chicken and put them in boiling water. And, yeah. If you pluck a regular barn yard chicken, not one of the broiler meat chickens at all, yeah. but just a, that's a little dinosaur with feathers on. That's what that yeah, sucker is. That is. Right. Have you ever had a UFO encounter? A UFO encounter. Yeah, we was on a ranch many, many years ago when I seen an old man get bucked off uh, so hard and so high that when he come to back by, by us on the backside, somebody said, is that one of them UFOs? I said, no, that's hired. He just don't ride good no more, you know. But uh, I, I've been in places, Daniel, I have, you know, 300, 400,000 acres where there's not electricity in sight and it's dark. And I've looked up at the sky that the good Lord created and seen all the things that float around in it, you know. And uh, I've never had something come by and stop at camp. You know, if they won't stop by, hey, we'll have a cup of coffee and see what's happening. Yes, sir. Well, that concludes our lightning round questions, and I'm going to award you 1,363 points for that. There we go. That I makes, like that. makes you our highest scorer ever to play the game. You're the reigning champion. And well, that, I'm honored. <laughs> that entitles you either to an awkward silence or a genuine compliment. Your choice. <laughs> I'll take them both, my friend. I need them both. Yeah, no. <laughs> All right. I love the awkward silences. Those are my favorites. So for a genuine compliment, I have to say that uh, I always love when you come across people that, that sort of over deliver on what you might expect when you first meet them and, and you have this all shucks sort of persona to you, but it's very obvious you're a highly intelligent guy with a lot of experience and way more layers to you than what you might present with it first and i really have to say that the sense of humor that you deliver everything with I, i'm i can't tell you how much i'm looking forward to this conversation because i know there's just going to be one-liners coming in here left and right and i'm like a hog at a trough for all of that stuff so uh, i really appreciate you coming on and and i certainly appreciate your sense of humor and you being an ambassador for the cowboy world out there uh we 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 unfortunately have a few that might not show us in the best light, so it's it's always good to have some out there that really do. So thank you for that. Well, thank you, sir. I am honored to be here. Uh, would you give us sort of the 30,000-foot view of what it is that you do in the world? All right. You know, I'm a, I'm a chuck wagon cook, um, and we fed cowboys forever. Before that, I fed elk hunters in the Gila wilderness, you know, in the for about six seasons, it was the same as cooking on a chuck wagon. You just packed it in on a mule, uh, but it's a totally different beast because you're cooking at altitude. You know, a lot of people that are cooking at sea level don't know that how much difference there is at cooking at 9,000 foot. Bread don't rise, beans don't boil. You have to figure them things out because nobody taught me to cook or bake in a Dutch oven, and it was always trial and error. Uh, but we, we've cooked on a lot of ranches through the years, and that's something that I won't give up. But also, uh, you know, we, we love our YouTube. Uh, we have a great YouTube following, and uh, we try to shoot maybe two to three videos a week. Shan edits them, and uh, we just have a great family out there. That's what we call them because we try to connect with folks. We want them to know that uh, we're more than just a cooking show. Uh, we're a show about life as well. I try to be a, a steward of the land. I try to be a, a great husband. 
And um, that's all I can ask for every day. If the good Lord will give me air one more day. I tell you, there's, there's one compliment I got to give y'all on that too. Most people have no clue how hard it is to capture good audio outside. And I've seen tons of your videos and it looks like y'all have a steady 40 mile an hour wind out there and you can't ever hear it. And how y'all make that happen is absolutely beyond me, but y'all make it happen. (laughs) We have good mics. They're called road mics. And then we'll put a wind sock on the one that I wear. And Mm -hmm. uh, because you, you never know what the weather's going to do. When you're cooking in Mother Nature's kitchen, she'll throw something at you every time, you know. And uh, sometimes we, it looks really good. Shannon said, I didn't know the wind was blowing that hard till I got to watching the video. And I said, yeah, it was howling. <laughs> well, you opened the door a little bit a second ago on, on cooking in the elements and some of the differences that that uh, applies to you and, and uh, would you elaborate a little bit more on that? Like, I, I, I know that changing types of wood dramatically changes the type of heat that you're going to get if you're cooking on cold wet ground that'll that's going to soak a whole bunch of the heat out so how do, how do you sort of adjust to those sorts of things and what 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 are you looking for as your potential problems when you're trying to cook well you know i've been in minus 20 and i've cooked in 117 i prefer minus 20 every day because I can put enough wood in that old stove, you know, but you've got to figure out, you know, especially if, if you're cooking in really cold conditions, uh, hardwood is your best friend. You know, you don't want some soft wood that's people been dragging up some pine or something like that, because sure, it's going to make a little flame, but you don't have any heat. And we need something that's going to produce cold. So we go through a lot of hardwood on ranches. A lot of it's mesquite. Uh, some of it is oak like that, but we got to have it and got to have a, a steady supply of it because you don't want to get halfway through cooking a meal and run out of coals. Um, the ground is wet, you know, or the ground's got snow. And if we're trying to bake something in a Dutch oven, I usually got that old propane torch with me or just get a shovel full of coals and I'll lay out there on the ground first where I'm going to cook to where I can either thaw out what's on there or dry it up, one of the two. And that way I'm not losing so much heat as I'm trying to cook, uh, you know, Cast iron, you, you never preheat a piece of cast iron unless you're going to sear a piece of meat. But I do keep it as warm as I can when it's down below freezing because cast will crack on you if it's shot from one extreme to the other. And I've seen it so cold where a 30-gallon water barrel would freeze solid and then I'd stand up there on the wagon and I'd chip ice out of it to make coffee of a morning. You know, and I've seen it so hot to where you think, hey, we don't even need no wood in that stove today. We can fry all the eggs we want to on it. But uh there's always elements there that come about, you know, the wind blowing 40 miles an hour. And if you're baking something in a Dutch oven, well, then you've created a furnace and a microwave, you know, with the extra winds that's there. So it's a whole lot different than standing in a kitchen and stirring a pot. I'll tell you that. Yes, sir. Do you ever use things like if you, I'm sure you've been to a bunch of Dutch oven gatherings and those sorts of things where they'll use like basically dog food dishes to hold their coals and things like yeah. that and keep it up. Do you ever, or would you consider that cheating? And, and do you go that route at times when you need to? Oh, I've been in places where I've had to use everything in the world. I've cooked in the bottom of a wheelbarrow because they didn't want me to burn the grass or be on a piece of sidewalk, you know, you can, you can put it on something, whatever it's got to be uh, to get it by, but you learn to improvise. That's the biggest thing, whatever comes along, whether it's wet wood, cold weather, dry weather, or people telling you, no, you can't cook there. You're going to have to cook over here. So you just get the job done because that's what you're supposed to do. Yes. At the end of the day, you got people to feed and and your, uh, your pride in it doesn't factor into the meal, does it? No, it doesn't. (laughs) Got to get it done. 
Um, so you, you talked a minute ago about the firewood and all, and I don't know how long it's been since you've done the, the chuck wagon on the ranch thing, if you're still doing that annually or, or less of it or, or, or what, but I would imagine that the logistics of that are, are pretty significant, making sure that the, the wood is hauled and you've got ice and water and the food brought in and also, so how do you manage that sort of stuff? Like, I, I mean, I know you're feeding crews, maybe 20, 30 people or something. That's not, that's not insignificant. So um, how, how do y'all work that out? You know, uh, which we got a ranch coming up next week we'll be on, but usually most ranches, if it's a significant stay of say more than two weeks, I'll make a menu and a grocery list and I'll send that to headquarters out there at the ranch and the ranch wives will pick it up and it'll be there when I get there, you know, but uh, it's uh, one of the deals to where the rancher knows wherever we're going, if we're going to have to move camp from one section of the ranch, there's a wood pile there, you know, it's already in place. Um, we'll, uh, we'll haul in what groceries we can take with us, usually the last three to five days, depending on the weather. Somebody will restock us from headquarters as we need it uh, to bring ice. Um, a lot of the old camps I used to be in a long time ago, they were nearly plum dry camps. I mean, you would have a little water to make coffee uh, and I wash dishes, but there wasn't a lot to go around after that, you know, or we'd dip it out of a windmill or something like that. But now they'll haul up, you know, a three, 400 gallon tank and they'll just follow us around wherever we need to go. So it's a whole lot handier and old cookie had it going down the trail, but it's still the same methods and the same means. So to that end, do you find we, we we talked about environmental factors? If you're going to different ranches and stuff, and you're you're using like water out of a windmill, that could change your mineral content and basically the flavor and character of your water pretty significantly. Do you ever and your, your bowel movement? <laughs> yes, sir. I'm, I'm sure a little extra iron in there will help everything yes. out. <laughs> yeah, like I know when we're hauling horses around, sometimes you'll you'll show up to a town 12 hours away and all of a sudden your horse won't drink the water because it has yeah. a, a mineral taste. So, so do you find that sort of stuff affects your cooking and, uh, and, and all? In places you do, you know, I've been in places where the water was so hard, uh, used a lot of gyp water, you know, didn't want to, but that's all we had on tap, you know, it's time. And, uh, you know, I usually try to boil that water. Uh, some of it I'd even salt a little if I needed and some of it, I'd put a little baking soda in it to lower that pH if I could do that, you know, before I was actually going to use it to cook a pot of beans in or something like that. But um, if you could find good, you know, good good stream water or good tank water that was pretty clean, uh, you know, I always thought that was some best water there was. Okay. Get some good spring water straight out of the yeah. mountain or something. Yes, absolutely. Would you take us through sort of a typical day of, of what cooking out on the wagon would be like for you like what time are you getting yeah. up in the morning and and planning your day out and all of that yeah. you know we uh like i said we make a menu and a grocery list and uh, you add three days to it because mother nature's in control you may have to stay longer than you wanted but uh depending on you know fall or spring you know in the spring there everybody's calved and you're branding more cattle but in the fall you're weaning a lot of cattle depending on countryside too you know from east to west north to south uh, but usually most days in the spring would start around 2.15, 2.30 every morning. And um, me and Shan go over, uh, you know, light that lantern, build a fire, first things on coffee. Uh, me or her one be making bread. Uh, then you go to frying meat, whether you're having 
bacon, eggs, sausage, pancakes, gravy, biscuits, whatever you got, or where you're having hash browns and, you know, uh, sourdough pancakes, uh, there's always something to do. Breakfast was usually served between 4.30 and 5. Uh, but bread's got to rise, so that was usually the one reason you were getting up a little ahead of time. But always told people, too, you get up at 2.30 in the morning, ain't nobody messed the day up yet. It's dark. It's quiet. You know, the, the night creatures are still out there singing to you, so it's really a good deal. Um, cowboys are right out, you know, pretty close to light. They'll be gone. Wash dishes. Uh, get things sort of lined up. Uh, they say a noon meal, but like I told you before, cattle on a watch you don't care you know it could be 11 30 it could be 2 30. uh most of the time it's pretty much you know around 12 30. they're pretty cordial if they can be and we'll fix a meal there we have we have homemade bread three times a day we have uh homemade dessert twice a day uh, a lot of times on a noon meal especially if it's hotter weather cowboys eat less just like anybody else would that's got to go back out there in it and work uh, so there is some lighter casseroles something like that but at night, we'll try to break out the rocking chair and founder them all. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll have a big old 28-ounce bone-in ribeye, you know, sourdough biscuits, uh, bread pudding with a whiskey cream sauce, sparkling potatoes. And uh, them boys is wanting a recliner when they get through. And uh, that's what we're supposed to do. Well, you brought up the whiskey cream sauce. This is one of those uh, questions I, I was not sure whether I was going to ask you or not, but I know – it used to be, at least in some areas, that all those old cowboys started off every morning with a shot of whiskey before they saddled up and everything. And and uh, given the horse they were fixing to climb on might be trying to kill them in a minute, I guess that's a that's a valid way to start it out. But do you still see that sort of stuff on the wagon, or do you come across camps where it's dry, no no beer, no whiskey, no nothing until it's all said and done, or or what's sort of that policy there? Uh, I've been on both. You know, um, true working ranches to me today and true cowboys, most cordial, cordial, polite people I've ever been around in my life. And uh, they'll have a policy or a code of ethics that goes with the ranch that they're working on and say, hey, you know, if you want to have a drink, you can have one night. We get finished. You know, uh, I can remember breaking camps in the Paladura Canyon 25 years ago, first of December. And one of them old men had right up there. And he said, I'm going to tell you, Cookie, before you get in that wagon seat. We got to drink a beer before you leave. It's tradition. I said, it's six o'clock in the morning. I ain't had enough coffee yet. And the beer <laughs> would always be hot. It would never be cold. You know, and I'd say, well, we're going to quit that tradition. I'll tell you for sure if I'm going to cook. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've never known it to be a problem. You know, I have, I keep whiskey at the wagon uh, all the time. Uh, as much to cook with as it is medicinal too, because we'll use it in a lot of stuff uh, for remedies. And, uh, but I don't advertise where it, what drawer it's in a lot. <laughs> That's fair enough. Do you have a favorite brand? Uh, I love Crown. You know, we okay. drink, uh, we take a lot of Crown with us uh, to cook with. And uh, Crown Peach makes a really good uh, whiskey cream sauce, but uh, so does Crown Apple and Crown Caramel. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um. Well, one of the other questions I was going to ask you, and that kind of opened the door for it, was about some of the etiquette around the cook tent in the evening. Uh, a lot of people might not realize how much etiquette there is in cowboy culture and, and how serious it can be if you, you violate some of it. But would you share some of those rules that you have come across? Or, or maybe you may be the, 
the maker and enforcer of the rules underneath your tent. So what's the etiquette yeah, that, like? That cowboy code and ethics has been around long for my time. You know, the there's sacred ground uh, so many places. An old chuck wagon belongs to the cook. You know, a cook was known as really some old grumpy, nasty old man that couldn't cook and barely could make coffee and was just hard to get along with. But uh, And I've seen them kind of cooks. I have. We're not one of them. Uh, I do do apply the, the code. Uh, a lot of times on ranches, uh, they'll say, hey, Kent, we want to go by the old way, the old ways. These kids need to learn, you know, and nobody would come under the fly of the wagon, which is a tarp that covers us uh, unless they ask for permission, you know, and uh, you never crossed in between a chuck box and the stove or the fire. Uh, that would get you a shepping. And if people don't know what that is, that, you know, some of them old men will drag you out there across and lay you just straight out as they can and nothing to get his leggings off of him. And he will wear your backside out with him until you've learned your lesson. Uh, I've seen a lot of shoppings take place in my life. Some of them in fun, some of them in schooling. Uh, it didn't have to do it twice, you know, but uh, I've known old men on ranches too a long time ago when I would be cooking and um, they'd be in their 70s when I was in my 30s. And they would not come under the fly of the wagon and eat, even after I asked. And if it was raining or snowing, they'd always tell me, young feller, I don't want to start a habit. I can't break. Yeah, I, <laughs> I love it. And for the some people listening, uh, when he's saying chaps, he's talking about chaps. And, and it's not chaps. It might yeah. have a CH on it, but it's pronounced with an SH. That, that's one of my... Yes my little pet peeves in the world. I hear you there, uh, brother. Uh, you, you hardly ever hear it said correctly anymore. Yeah, because uh, a lot of people say he got he got chaps. And I said, well, if he rode long enough in a saddle and a wet saddle and bad britches, he going to get chapped all right. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have a desitin and baby powder drawer somewhere on the wagon? Oh, <laughs> we have cornstarch. That is the best thing ever. You know, I, I had a cowboy come up here one time, and he was a young kid, and he was pretty bashful, and he said, uh, hey, Ken, he said, uh, I got a problem. And I said, well, I don't know if I can fix it, but I'll try to help you if I can. And he said, uh, I'm I'm sort of raw. And, and I knew what he was talking about. I was just going to see. I said, I don't know what you're talking about, buddy. And he said, "I, you know, it rained on us all day yesterday. And he said, I, he said uh, I, I just don't know how to say it. I said, well, just say it. He said, well, my butt cheeks feel like two pieces of raw bacon rubbed in a hot skillet. And I said, yeah, you need some cornstarch is what you need, brother. And he said, cornstarch. He wouldn't use it. The first time I tried to give it to him, take with him, he wouldn't use it. Finally, them old men convinced him. And then he, he wanted to know, could he buy a jar off of me? And I said, no, nah, I've got an extra jar I'll give you, but you ain't buying it. <laughs> I, I guess uh, I'll go ahead and ask this since we broke the seal. Do you have a favorite brand of baby wipes out there? Because uh, I know a lot of people have never been three days without a shower, but that'll test your constitution sometimes. <laughs> so, Well, I don't think that I've ever took a baby wipe with me that I know of. You know, uh, okay. we used to cut a lot of bed sheets a long time ago, and I'd, I'd take them. But uh, I would, my mother a lot of times would usually put like a, a really good fabric softener on them to where they'd have a really good fresh smell. Because sometimes I'd be gone six weeks and I'd come home and she'd say, did you take a bath while you were gone? And I said, one time I did, mama. <laughs> I, I sure did. But uh, we have had some cooking schools to where some folks bring some in. And I don't know the brand, but they were Army issue. And mm. uh, them things are big enough to, to, to take a whole bath in by themselves. 
Yes, sir. That sounds pretty good. I've yeah. done a lot of hiking and, and camping and that kind of stuff. And, and uh, let me tell you, it may not seem real masculine on day one, but but uh, eventually you you break in oh, and, yeah. and yeah, you go for it. <laughs> you know, we I take a bath nearly every night on the wagon or a shower. And in the wintertime, you know, I heat water and put it in an old wash tub and I can get her done. In the summertime, I take a used to take a black trash bag, uh, put water in it, hang it down in the windmill or up on a tree. Sunshine and warm it. Take your pocket knife, poke a few holes in it. You got a shower, you know, uh, always one thing i always hated to do daniel i hated to go to bed smelling like smoke or sweating yes sir I, i'm i'm with you I, I can handle the world pretty rough but man it's hard to go to sleep if you're sweating that's just that's a rough night right there you seem like the kind of guy to me that has probably got some sort of a sentimental cooking tool around there of some kind do you have an old coffee pot or spoon or or something that that you just wouldn't part with no matter what i have a two cup sifter that never had a handle on it that i'm aware of that belonged to my mother and belonged to her mother and that thing has been in the flyer can at the wagon for 31 years now and uh <laughs> it ain't going nowhere you know it's one of them things that i know that i'm going to have with me and I, I'll probably tell Shan when he get ready to throw me in the hole, just throw that there sifter in there with it, you know. So, uh, and I've got a few old knives, uh, but they're probably the ones that um, mean it's just as much as that sifter as a bunch of that old Griswold and Wagner cast iron that was handed down, you know, so many years ago. So I, I don't know if you have a cast iron sponsor here, and I, and I don't want to make waves for you, but. Um, I have not really had the pleasure of cooking much in the Wagner and some of those really old brands. I have handled them some and I've actually been a little bit surprised. They seem kind of lightweight compared to like some of the newer lodge stuff and yeah. all. Do you find like you got to learn how to cook with that pot? A 16 inch Dutch oven isn't necessarily a 16 inch Dutch oven. In other words, you have to sort of you know, have a little art to it and realize this one cooks this way and that one cooks that way and, and so forth? If the iron's made in the United States, it's usually pretty consistent. Cast iron, good cast iron, heats pretty even if you rotate your oven around your coals. But cheap cast iron, um, that stuff don't heat worth much. You know, uh, you'll have uneven. Uh, lids don't fit good on them. They'll warp at times if they get a little too hot. I have seen you using that sifter that you described a minute ago, putting flour in the grease after a chicken fried steak. And, and I have to say, I, I don't know if, if you view it this way, but the chicken fried steak kind of seems to be the quintessential meal that I think of when I think of you. So do you have some, some chicken fried steak secrets or is that one of those, are you like the lead singer of the band that never liked the song that became the hit and you got to sing it anyway or, how do you feel about chicken fried steak? Well, uh, years ago, I loved them. You know, uh, I don't I don't know how many thousands of them I've made in the last 30 years, you know, and we showed Bobby Flay how to make one. So then everybody else wanted one, too. And uh, But I think the number one thing is good quality beef. You know, I'm. It's, it's you look for something that's pretty clean and when i say clean i don't want it to have a piece of gristle in it, it needs to be run through the cuber or you can tenderize it yourself you know about three times you don't want it where it's going to fall apart 
you know, and there's everybody using from inside the round to top around to bottom round, you know, and uh, it's, I just want a little bit of marbling in a chicken fry. I want it to be pretty lean. I want it to weigh about five ounces when I start. So that way when we uh, double baptize it and get it in there and frying, it's big enough to cover the plate. And that's what we're after. But it's, uh, I think it's a thing that people, you know, for years and years, Daniel, in our country, you'd go to any little small cafe and get one of the best chicken fried steaks in the world. You can go in some of them places now, and I guarantee you there's a lot of them that if you could read on the package, it'd say soybean meal, you know. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be 100% beef. It'd be some pre-breaded patty that's come in there that they're going to cook and throw at you. And, uh, you know, I love gravy. I do. You got to have it. But when you have to cover something up with gravy to hide the taste, uh, you know, that's not the best chicken fried steak. Yes. And some of the places that the gravy is like the jelly or something instead of yeah. a, a real gravy, yeah. too. Yes, sir. That's a, uh, I'm from South Louisiana and, and down here. If you ask somebody about a gravy, then they're automatically talking about a brown gravy. But I yeah. was raised in North Louisiana, yeah. so I, I tell people I'm multicultural. I can make a brown gravy and a white gravy, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were cooking in New York City a long time ago when the first cookbook came out for the New York City Women's Culinary Association. And we did chicken fried steak, gravy, and mashed potatoes and all that. And I had the gravy down there in a 20-inch skillet. And one of them stopped and asked me, said, what's the white sauce? And I said, what are you talking about, ma'am? She said, the white sauce down there on the end. <clears throat> I said, ma'am, that's gravy. And uh, she said, gravy? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, what do, you, what do you do with it? I said, you put it on everything you got, ma'am. Put it in your purse. Put it in your pocket. I said, you got to have gravy. And she said, there's not such thing as white gravy. There is brown gravy. I said, ma'am, you ain't lived long enough yet, darling. I said, one of these days, I said, after you taste this, you're going to be wanting the recipe. I said, because there is white gravy, red gravy, red-eye gravy, brown gravy. I, I have to say, when I watch some of the cooking shows and all it, and especially it seems to be with, with turkey, when they do the Thanksgiving dinner yeah. and they come out with this very, very light brown beige and they run it through a strainer and all that just looks like something I don't want any part of. There, there's nothing yeah. gravy like about that to me whatsoever. I know I'm going to have to put salt in it when they get done. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are some of your favorite cuts of meat? Like I, I've always felt like the chuck was probably one of those underrated things, but you do have a little gristle to deal with in that area and i know I, I, at least i've seen uh for the chicken fry you seem to be a top sirloin or a top round uh yeah. guy so so what are what are your favorite cuts to play with and all you know i i like them all anything i i've went from the tongue to the the tail you know and i've consumed some of every part of it but uh you know i, I a lot of people ain't going to see it because you don't see it at the butcher much. And that's a, a good chuck eye steak that comes off the top of that chuck roll, you know, up there. But uh, I do love a ribeye, uh, a filet, you know, um, they, they are plenty good. I do like a hanger steak. Ain't going to see many of them in our country because the butcher will take them home if he gets a chance. But something I think that's really got a lot of flavor that we didn't have in our country for a long time, Daniel, because nobody ever cut it. They just ground it. And that was tri-tip. You know, mm-hmm. you just didn't see it down here, but uh, there's a great flavor there. But I don't know that there is a bad cut of beef. I, I was going to ask you about one. My family raises and shows Brahma cows. That's what yeah. the boys do. And 
a couple of years ago at the National Brahma Show in Texarkana, they served us Brahma hump as sort of our banquet dinner. Have you ever had that? No, I have not. I've seen people cooking it, but I've never got to eat it. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, if it's stewed down, you know, cut and fried down, stir fry. I, I don't know. I want to say this was pretty similar to a brisket, and it had kind of the same long, stringy strands yeah. in it. It was very, very beefy and very fatty. I mean, it, they could have served us brisket and told us it was hump. For all yeah. I know, it, it was very, yeah. very similar. But I definitely would say if you get the chance, try some. Will, it, it was pretty darn good. I will try that. Uh, plus, uh, if there's not a whole lot of cowboys that would flinch at finally getting to eat one of those Brahma cows they've had to fix fence behind for years and years and years. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm poking a little fun at my wife right now. She's giving me one of those dirty looks. <laughs> she and I be, have different experiences with Brahma. Brahma cattle. <laughs> uh, well, why don't we talk a little bit about some of your other gear? So the world famous Bertha, and I know you're now uh you've got a, a deal where they're kind of manufacturing some stoves for you by your design. Would you tell us a little bit like where did Bertha come from? Did did uh you just find her behind a shed one day and started using her? Or is that something you made or had made or or, or what? He has a friend of mine down by Dickens, Texas. He had made two. And I seen one of them because I'd bend over. I had been over a fire a lot in my life. And with the wind blowing, watched the gravy get covered in sand, grasshoppers, whatever's floating by. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm tired of standing. I mean, sitting on my knees. And uh, I seen this old stove and I said, hey, I need you to make me one of them. And he did. Um, brought it home. And uh, it was the grandest thing ever, Daniel, it was. Uh, and I'd loaded it for probably about two years. And at that particular time, that, that Bertha weighed 345 pounds, um, didn't have a bottom in it. And I would tell Shan later, I said, you know, that stove's heavy. And uh, I said, I never I never loaded that hole that I cooked in. And uh, she said, yeah, but what's worth it? And it, it's really nice to be at the right height to cook, but mm -hmm. also in our country, being in so many drought conditions is to have a controlled fire. To where you've got it locked up you know you're not worried about catching hundred thousand acres on fire every time you go out there but it is a great tool uh, it's got three eyes in it you know that'll come out uh, they'll fit a dutch oven different sizes smoke tight but the whole top will come off of it and you put an expanded metal grate up there on the old one now we have just regular uh nickel grates that go in there that fit on the new berthas and the new bertha it actually does have a bottom and has wheels on it which makes it pretty handy it does hmm. It, are the new ones as heavy as the old one, or did you sort of uh, go with thinner metal and so forth? No, they're a little bit heavier. You know, oh, they're okay. three eighty-five with the bottom in it, and uh, they're uh, they're they're made Hasty Bake Grill Company up there in Tulsa, and they they do a great job on them. So do, do they come apart? Like, I mean, are are you actually having to pick up three hundred and eighty-five pounds, or can you take the two sides off and so forth, or? Well, well it's got some it's got some warming trays that flip up on each side that are sort of like shelves, but the rest of it, uh, you know, it's it's there. You ain't taking it apart. <laughs> it's gonna uh, make a man up, you. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the the new ones with the wheels, you can uh, you can load with ramps. One person can load it, which I I loaded and unloaded that other one forever uh, by myself. People would ask when you gonna quit, and I said when I can't load it no more, I'll leave it here. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. How about your wagon? 
1876 Studebaker. You know, it's uh, I found it on a ranch down south of Spur, Texas. Uh, it was in fairly decent shape when we got it. We had to work on it a little more, and uh, it's been uh, thousands upon thousands of miles on a trailer, but a lot of miles pulled by a team, too. And uh, we redid it, I guess, last year uh, from start to finish. Um, wheels were all right, but we redid everything else. It was sort of a labor of love. Uh, took a lot longer than I thought it was because we was having to do something in between every day you worked on it. So um, it is the first Meals on Wheels ever invented. <laughs> That's perfect. Yes, sir. Well, this is a horsemanship podcast at the end of the day. So would you tell us a little bit about some of the teams and all that you've had? Y'all are actually driving it place to place and, and – uh, what's the horse part of that like? Do you typically drive the wagon yourself or do the, the ranch provides the teams and a driver? Or how does that, that tend to work? Well, uh, you know, I, I've seen it pulled by mules. I've seen it pulled by horses. And uh, one of the best teams that I believe I ever got to drive in my life, uh, besides the ones that I owned for a while, was a team of uh, white Persians. Uh, they were on the Bale Ranch out there and a Mick and Minnie, and uh, you could trust them with your life. Uh, and we come down through some old country, you know, that was pretty pretty bad at times. And uh, when you're having to ride that brake constantly on that wagon to keep that uh, that double tree from hitting them in the hocks, you know, them horses would pick up a foot and just plant it. Uh, I would trust them with anything I ever pulled in my life, you know. And uh, it's a good team uh, makes a lot of difference. It's just to me, it's just as important as a good cook. You know, because if you're going to tear it up before you get there, it ain't much sense in having it, you know. But there is some really good teams of horses out there. And old Mick and Minnie were probably two of the best I ever drove in my life. I, I tell you what, there's in, in kind of the horsemanship world, there's a, a big movement of, of sort of the emotional anthropomorphized. I need to connect with this animal and and our souls join and all that kind of stuff, which I'm not generally a real big fan of, but for anybody out there that's looking into that, you can bond with a draft horse probably in ways you can't with any other animal on the planet. They're, they're like dogs almost in the, the closeness you can get with them. And uh, people tend to be intimidated by them because they're so darn big but they really are the gentle giants and, and uh, I haven't known tons of them, but that gum, I could probably name every single one I've ever been around that they, they left a, a little mark on me somewhere, you know, yeah. um, they're highly yeah, un, they, unappreciated. Yeah, they are, uh, they're great animals. Um, you know, they, they tr trusted me to not put them in a bind and, and I trusted them to not let us get in one after I got. Yes, sir. Well, uh, Mr. Kent, I think we have reached the point where we need to acknowledge our sponsor for this episode. And um, this is one of those oddities because normally I, I'm reaching out to the guests and then trying to find a sponsor to fit them. And I actually had a sponsor that came to me and said, we want you to interview this guy and we want to sponsor the episode. So I don't know if there's a little beef there with y'all or, or what exactly, but this, ep this uh, episode of the Adult Horsemanship Podcast is sponsored by the Seahorse Sardine Company. Many people don't know it, but Seahorse Sardine Company has been around so long that the pioneers in the famous Conestoga wagons who settled the West 
often had seahorse sardines in their wagons. The heritage of these tasty sources of fat and protein is well known. Why, even children of the Old West knew that sardines were already cooked. All you needed to do was eat them straight out of the tin or use them to top something else like cornbread. Why, it'd just be foolish to think you needed to cook them in something like a Dutch oven. Seahorse sardines are packed with all sorts of things missing from our modern diets. These fish have the bones, scales, and everything else right in there. Nothing could be better for your bones than eating bones. Each tin of seahorse sardines contains only 180 calories with 18 grams of protein and eight and a half grams of the healthiest fats on earth. Seahorse sardines contain zero carbs and zero fiber. They're keto, paleo, Atkins, and heart friendly, heart diet friendly. In fact, only people with gout and people named Rollins say to avoid sardines. Whales live just about forever, and so do sea turtles, and they eat our sardines, so why shouldn't you? The tastiest treat from the sea. We've now combined our product with a certain curiously strong breath mint, also famous for coming to you in a tin box, and what could be better? Seahorse sardines. They're incredibly good for you and already cooked. You have been cooking for about 30 years, and... Uh, there seems to be a little a little shift that took place in your life there. What was it that kind of took you from from the elk camp to mainstream America and the TV shows and and all of the success that you're enjoying right now? Was there some catalyst that happened, or was that always the plan for you, or or what? I I guess really what started it, uh, Daniel, was uh, you know you do six years in an elk camp you know, or six seasons uh, back to back. Uh, and sure, it was periodically, you know, we'd go in September, come out uh, last of November. Uh, so it was a little little deal that didn't really fit the rest of the year, you know. Uh, I'd go back to, you know, anywhere from working on a ranch to carpenter to working on windmills to anything else you could find. So uh, I was coming back from there probably the last year that I was guiding hunters. And um I seen an old chuck wagon sitting on the side of the road, and I didn't even stop. I just looked at it, and I thought, I'm going to get me one of them. I'm going to go feeding cowboys. You know, uh, that's that's something I ought to do. I'm a pretty good cook, I think. And uh, cowboys respected me because I'd been on both sides of the fire, you know, so it was pretty easy for me to get in the door. And just uh, word of mouth travels, you know, in a full stomach. Uh, if your food is good, people will uh, they will take care of you. And uh, you went to cooking for, for weddings, bar mitzvahs, birthdays, honeymoons, everything in the world you could think of. And then next thing you know, TV's calling, you know. And um, I think the thing that that TV really admired about us more than anything else is we, were, we weren't reality. We were real. Mm-hmm. And uh, we weren't going to change no matter what day it was or what, what the conditions were. It was going to be the same day after day. And uh, that's what we still try to do with YouTube today is – we're just going to be who we are, you know, don't be something you can't be. Yes, sir. So um, this sort of just popped into my head, but but since you cooked in elk camps and all of that, I, I'm sure you've gotten to cook some pretty interesting things uh, right after a kill. So have you ever cooked any like bear or mountain lion or anything like that out there? I have cooked some bear. You know, we uh, we I've eaten mountain lion uh, that I've cooked. Uh, not out there and i've eat i've eaten some bobcat and i've eaten some cow 
you know, uh, a lot of raccoon. But uh, it's one of them deals. Uh, my daddy always told me, if you if you killed it, you better eat it, you know. Mm-hmm. But We used to have, uh, when I was in North Louisiana, we would have a, a wild game supper every year. And, I mean, it would yeah. pull people from two and three mile, uh, hours away. And, I mean, there would be – where were you at northern Louisiana, Daniel? I was in Lake Providence, right in the very northeast corner of the right. state. And then that this was in Eudora, Arkansas, right across the state line was where we would do the cooking. And uh, I, I had a, a friend of mine that helped me cook for quite some time. He was from Ruston, Louisiana. So I went to college in Ruston. Yes, sir. Who yeah. was that? Tony Osborne. I, I don't believe I know him. But yeah. uh, there, there's a lot of characters up there in North Louisiana. I, I could see you fitting right in. Yes, sir. Yeah, good <laughs> uh, people. Yeah. I, this thing was cool because they'd have, like you say, mountain lion. I mean, we would have beaver, nutrirat, rattlesnake, yeah. you know, antelope, just about every, any stuff from Africa. It, it, You could, you know, eat just about anything you could possibly imagine to want to eat over there. And, and uh, it was all pretty good and pretty interesting and i think that's a great way for kids to be raised we got a whole bunch of them that don't need anything but macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets yeah Yeah. and uh you need to be hungry enough to try some things like that from time to time i think well why don't you tell us about some of the colorful characters that you have met in your travels and and cooking down the road i I know uh what cowboys are like so there's got to be a few that stand out to you from through the years uh, you know, there was one of the first old cowboys I remember meeting was an old fellow that I was cooking for anyway. It was an old fellow named Mac. Uh, we won't we won't give his last name to protect the guilty. And um, so uh, he uh, he was known to uh, take a drink. And uh, we was on a ranch to where we moved camp every day after lunch. So nobody hardly ever set up a teepee. You just throw bedroll on the ground. And I can remember first night I was throwing my bedroll out there in front of the wagon and this guy come over and he said, uh, you met Mac? I said, not that I'm aware of. He said, I wouldn't put my bedroll out there. He said, I'd get under that wagon if I was you. He said, he'll come in drunk about two o'clock in the morning. He'll run over half of you. And uh, I said, yeah, I'll get under the wagon. And uh, old Mac had still had horse racks in the back of his pickup. You know, I mean, that's where he hauled, they'd jump in the back of the pickup and he'd haul his horses that way. He no trailer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you knew he was coming when he turned off at the highway. It might be 15 miles before you seen him, but uh, you could hear him. And uh, But he was always, to me, uh, very entertaining. You know, he had sat out there by me uh, around a fire at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, while the rest of them was sleeping and uh, tell some great stories. Uh, he was a great cowboy. Uh, uh, he ended up getting uh, hung up in a round pen to a horse and then killed him a long time back. But... Uh, there's many, been so many of them, uh, them great old hands that I got to meet. You know, a lot of them, you never knew their 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 last name. Uh, there were some named Slim. There was an old man named Red. You know, uh, they. It's like an old man once said. You know, and even Tom Morehouse said it too. Uh, we never did take a shining or a cotton to them folks that told us how important they was and what they could do all the time. Because they would show it to you eventually during the day. You know, if your works were what your word were, you was in pretty good shape. And that was always, you know, the way of being a cowboy. You, uh, you didn't brag about what you could do. 
just show people what you can do and do what you're supposed to do, you know. But uh, I think one of the weirdest things I ever had in camp, uh, and I've had a lot of rattlesnakes crawl through camp, and uh, this one was was Jeff Goldblum. He was uh, the guy that was in Jurassic Park, you know. We did a did a show for them. They're doing a documentary about coffee, and uh, he's a weird feller. He is. He's a good feller, but he is kind of weird. Um, he uh, he had never drank that much coffee in his life before, so he is he is pretty well caffeined up. Time I got through with him that day. I'm 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 a pretty high energy guy. Yeah, I'm not someone you want to be around. If I've had more than about two cups of coffee, I would drive you absolutely insane. So I understand that. Well, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the coffee pot? Because that's probably as big a symbol of cowboy culture and the, the cooking wagon and all as they come. And I know you've got some some tricks and some special things you do to cook coffee. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, I actually did some cooking uh, at the Louisiana Equine Council annual meeting this past January, and I, I made more pots of coffee than I could count. And I was completely stealing your recipe and and tips there. And and uh, I had more compliments on that coffee than I think I've ever gotten before. So what are what are some of the rules and tips of cooking coffee for cowboys? Well, you, you know, a good coffee pot is uh, is something that's very important. And, uh, you know, them old biggins we got are over two gallon. And uh, you if you got good water to start with. That makes a big difference. You know, and we'll fill it to right below the bottom of the spout, maybe even with it. Uh, let the water warm over a fire and then put the coffee in uh, for them old big pots. It's about three handfuls or nearly about two cups or two and a quarter. And uh, let it come to a rolling boil, not a spit and a sputter. You know, I want it to roll and boil for probably four to five minutes. Uh, take it off fire, pour a cup of cold water down the spout or around the edges of the pot. It'll settle the grounds to the bottom. Um when you boil coffee that way uh, for that long, uh, you've reached a temperature above 212 degrees, which breaks down the tannin in the bean, which releases the acid, and that's why the coffee's smooth. Well, one thing I was going to bring up that, that you didn't mention right there is that you season coffee pots just like you season cast iron. Is that right? Oh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, you, you get an old coffee pot or you find a coffee pot, at a junk store or something, I always tell people, you know, them old enamel pots, tell them you ain't stealing it, but take it outside and uh, take the lid off of it and hold it up to the sun, see if it's got any pinholes in it, you know, because uh, if they're if they're used, they could sure be some in there. Um, but when you if that pot's clean, ain't never had coffee made in it, I'll usually make, make a batch in there that's probably three times as strong as I normally would coffee, and I'm not drinking it. I'm just going to make it and boil it, let it cool, reboil it again, redo it again, because I want that pot to be seasoned on the inside very well. And that coffee pot will never see soap on the inside of it. It'll get rinsed out with hot water and it'll be dried, but it will never get soap. Do you have a favorite brand of coffee? I know kind of the, the old cowboy standard was the Arbuckles stuff. Uh, and I've seen you with the Folgers tin around you. Do you you, you have a preference or some thoughts there on different types of coffee? Well, you know, Arbuckles was around forever, you know, and uh, Old Cook could usually have to hide the coffee because when Arbuckles was sent in the sack, there was a peppermint stick in it. And them old cowboys really wanted that sweetness if they could find it. Uh, so he'd usually eat that first, get it out of the way. 
But uh, I've used every kind of coffee there was. Uh, you know, we have our own blend of coffee now that we make. But I used a lot of Folgers for years. Um, you know, sure, coffee makes a difference, but the way you're making it, I think, makes a bigger difference than anything in the world. But the coffee that we sort of developed from three different countries, or we didn't develop, that we had mixed, it really makes a good boiled coffee. But what were when you were doing that deal with Jeff Goblin? Was that your market research, or are y'all trying like Arabica versus Colombian, or or how uh, how did that work out? We was just he was just fascinated with the word cowboy coffee, so I was using the coffee that we ground our beans, you know, and just made the coffee. And he said he hadn't drank coffee in five years, so we made sure he had about four or five cups that day, uh, you know, and he was wound up pretty tight. Uh, He seems like like a guy that would be – I can't imagine how fast he would be stuttering and stammering with five cups of coffee in him. I bet that was pretty good time. <laughs> he he is really good people, but he's just odd. You know what I mean? Well, some of the best people are, absolutely. I, I don't think anybody described me as normal, and uh, you might be on that list too, but the no, trick is to be, yeah, be weird in a good way. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well – you have now, with your wife, Miss Shannon, built sort of this cowboy cooking empire. So why don't you tell us, you, you have coffee and you, you've got uh, Bertha stoves that you're making. What are some of the other products and, and the cookbooks and, and sort of give us the lay of the land of what y'all are doing there? You know, uh, for years and years, I had two seasonings that I made some 35 years ago, and that was our mesquite and our original Uh now, we have sure added to that as times went by. We have three cookbooks out. You know, the first one was A Taste of Cowboy. The second one was Faith, Family, and the Feast. And the other one is the new one that just came out this last March is Comfort Food, the Cowboy Way. Uh, we have a great rib rub, a barbecue sauce. Um, we have tacos, taco seasoning, chili seasoning. Uh, we're fixed, uh, just fixing to start launching a bunch of new product that we're partnering up with with the Fresh Chili Company out there in uh, – Hatch, New Mexico, um, uh, but also we we have hash knives, we have mesquite spatulas, uh, aprons, we have trivets, stuff you use to cook with a Dutch oven. Um, we'll try to get you to cook in wherever you're at, but we do sell a lot of a lot of coffee too, and um, it's something that we think everybody needs in their house. Oh, plus Bertha, and and we have a new smoker too, a roughneck smoker that we help manufacture or design. So. Uh, we got you covered from building a fire all the way to eating it. You're going to have to wash your own dishes. Are you selling uh, shovels with holes in them yet, or you got to make your own one of those still? Well, I've had a lot of people want them, but them things is hard to ship. You know, you can't really get them in a box. And uh, I've had people give me one when I was places and want me to take it on an airplane, you know, to take it home. And I said, I don't think they're going to let me through the airport with that. And uh, <laughs> What about lid lifters? I have to say that uh, if you're going to do very much Dutch oven cooking, that becomes one of the most important tools in your toolbox right there. And, and they can make your life easier or frustrate the heck out of you. Yeah. Do you have yeah. some, some thoughts on those? There is some bad ones out there. Uh, you know, we're in the process of, uh, of having one made just like we want. And uh, it'll be something when you grab a hold to handle you, it will stay there. It ain't going to fall off. Uh, you ain't going to dump ashes in your cobbler. 
uh, you know, so people keep an eye on that website. They'll be there one of these days. Have you ever lowered yourself to the point of using any of these heat proof gloves? Oh, I've had some gloves that they said was heat proof, but after you get, uh, get them hot enough, they're hot too. Yes, you know, <laughs> a, a lid lifter and a tide is a pretty good claw hammer. You know, it'll yes, hook right up that lid and go. I, I I broke down and got myself a pair of those gloves maybe a year ago, and I have to say that has been a game changer for me. Yeah. But like you say, there's you can't sit there and hold hot stuff indefinitely. It will eventually uh, soak through to you, but you got a good twenty seconds or something where you can you can hold just about whatever you want to with them. Um, what would be some of your favorite things to cook? So uh, are you? Like, I guess beans would be one of those perennial things in there. It, it, do you like to cook big chunks of meat, roasts, and stews and things like that? Or, or more, I don't know how the timing might work, might play out there. I would imagine biscuits has got to be one of those things that's, that's kind of always around. Um, what are, what are some of your, your perennial fa favorites? We've already talked about chicken fried steak a little bit and, and, uh, but what would be some other meals or some other items there? You know, I, I've made a lot of biscuits in my life uh, from, from eight years old. and um, But I still love a good biscuit. Uh, Shan makes a great yeast roll, but we make a, a really good what we just call a buttery biscuit. Uh, there's no rise time in it. Uh, it's pretty quick. I like to use it a lot when you're at a higher altitude because it will always get the job done. Um, but... I love a side dish, you know, uh, our sparkling potatoes, which has got Sprite in them and bacon, jalapenos and garlic, um, always go good. Who doesn't love a good a pot of beans? You know, uh, I do a lot of beans. I like beans and rice. I've got a lot of Southwest flair in my cooking from a lot of, of uh, old Mexican cooks that I was around uh, during elk hunting season and stuff. But um, I love a dessert, you know, um, cobblers, pies, cakes, fudge. You know, anything you can cook in a regular oven in the house, we can cook in a Dutch oven outside. And, uh, you know, we've we've done flan. Uh, we've done a little everything. And I do have a sweet tooth. You know, if I can if I can sort of ease up there and rob something for Shan slams my fingers in the lid, I'm in pretty good shape. It is a real treat out out when you're in the, the wilderness doing something like that to get a, a peach cobbler or a blueberry cream cheese. Uh, tart. I have to say that was one I've made. I I couldn't begin to tell you how many peach cobbler dump cakes. But then uh, on one of your videos, I had seen your uh, blueberries and cream cheese deal, yeah, and, and uh, that's really a that is really something. It, it really really is um, just a, a brilliant combination of of things to put together, and and keeps it pretty easy and simple where you can haul it to those places and still get it done. So absolutely um well you do a, a cooking school also do you still have that rolling no sir uh okay. we have we don't have it anymore uh covid got it the last two times we did have it and uh, we just not had we just hadn't started back yet well that, that's fair enough and it looks like we may be having another um curiously timed round of covid coming back into the country right now too just uh just in time to get an election all messed up again, or I guess depending on what side you're on, maybe not messed up. <laughs> but anyway, 
Um, all right. Well, how about chuck wagon type competitions? I, I've, I would imagine you're not doing any of those anymore, but was there a time like when you were named chuck wagon of the year for Oklahoma and all, was there a time when you were doing those sorts of things? Oh yeah. I used to go to some competitions, uh, you know, 94, five, six, seven long in there. Um, and back then, it was sort of like a family reunion. There's a lot of old ranch cooks there, you know, and a lot of people just starting out. Uh, a lot of them, what we called weekend warriors, you know, they had a wagon and they went to cook offs, and that's what they loved to do. I uh, met a lot of good people. Uh, you know, I, I've won some cook offs, uh, cooked a, won a lot of bread, a lot of meat, a lot of dessert classes. Um, but um, they're, they're still out there. I don't think there's as many wagons go to them as there used to be, but uh, it's a great way to introduce, I think, you know, people that have never seen that type of cooking, uh, you know, they can go and watch it. Uh, so I think they're great deals. Well, I'm about out of questions. You have just uh, flown through here with, with all of this stuff, and I don't want to waste any more of your time. Is there anything that uh, you would want me to ask you that I haven't covered yet or anything like that? Not that I'm aware of, my friend. You know, they can they can uh, find us on our website or, you know, or Cowboy Kent Rollins on YouTube. But, no, nah, you've been a gracious host, my friend. I appreciate the offer and the time. And uh, I wish you nothing but success and happiness. Well, thank you. And I, I certainly appreciate you coming on. Do you have a, a final thought or story you'd like to leave us with before we sign off? Well, you know, you, you've always heard people, they'll, they'll tell you something that will send you away, you know, or give you something. And all I can tell you is don't, don't put up with wet wood and burnt biscuits all your life. You know, there's, there's better things in life besides wet wood and burnt biscuits. Uh, and a lot of that is maybe a good cup of coffee, a dip of snuff, a beautiful woman, you know, a sunrise, sunset. But uh, there's, there's if, if you're afraid you're going to burn them biscuits, don't cook them. You know, just uh, go to McDonald's and get one and we'll be in good shape. But no, uh, I burnt my share of food, Daniel, I have. But uh, wet wood, wet wood and burnt biscuits has always been hard on me. Life they is should short. make a country song out of that. You know what? That would be pretty good. Yes, we could get that uh, redheaded fellow with the beard that just hit the scene. He could yeah. He could probably do that yeah. justice. Yes, sir. Certainly <laughs> could. But well, I appreciate it, my friend. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, uh, it's been a pleasure uh, chatting with you. All right, you have a good day. Yes, sir. You too. Thank you much. We'll see you next week for another episode of Adult Onset Horsemanship. I've been your host, Daniel Dolphin.